you're about to hear a voice that is very familiar to local sports fans. You're also going to get to meet his better half. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Our guest is Andy Burcham, his wife, Jan Burcham. Uh, Andy, you know, is the voice of the Auburn Tigers. Jan, you may not know, unless you live here in Columbus or have been in the educational community and around Alabama, she is the Associate Dean of Education at Columbus State University. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you today, Chuck. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk to talk to both of y'all about, but I want to start with your jobs because, Andy, I know what you do. I've watched, I've listened to you and watched you in press boxes for many, many years. And I started doing some due diligence to see sort of what Jan did. And I've come to the conclusion, Andy, you way outkicked your coverage here. <laughs> I've I've known that since the first time that she and I talked. Y'all have um, been married for how long? 18 years in, in July. Uh, we've been married. We were married down in, down in Dothan in 2004. And um, Jan then moved to Auburn and then came to work that next month in August of 2004 at Columbus State. Wow. So you've been at Columbus State all those years, Jan? I've been here 18 years now, actually about next week to start my year 19. Um, I came here originally, I was recruited by Dr. Thomas Harrison, um, who at the time was the Dean of the College of Education. And he had actually been the president of Troy State Dothan in Dothan, Alabama, where I taught previously um, when Andy and I first met. And once he found out I was moving back to the Auburn area, he gave me a call and said, I need you to come work for me again. I was happy because I needed a job. And so um, we ended up working together for quite a few years. And then he's retired now, and I'm still here. We're doing this via Zoom. And, Andy, I'm going to get to you in just a second. But you're sitting in an office in the old Ledger Inquirer building that's now the College of Education, and you do education as well as nursing over there, but the office you're in was actually my office at the Ledger 10 years ago, and uh, it looks it looks a lot better than when I had it. Uh, do you like being in the old historic Ledger building? I really do. We have so enjoyed our move uh, downtown to the uptown area of Columbus, um, and Love being able to walk down the street for lunch or have meetings around this area. It's a beautiful area. Um, I'm sitting now right beside the windows overlooking um, a lot of the River Park area and watching construction happen. It's just a really vibrant, exciting place to be. So I've enjoyed very much uh, being in this building and having the view and, and our students love it as well. I mean, you're watching a $180 million retail residential office construction. I mean, you're literally seeing the next 50 to 75 years of Columbus being shaped. And you and I got to watch some of it before that. It's kind of cool to sit out there and watch that, isn't it? Yes, it is. We've really loved watching the development and have enjoyed benefiting from it. All the restaurants that have been added, the retail shops, all of those kinds of things 
um, it's been fascinating. Yeah, there were not three hotels outside the window when I was there. <laughs> there were not. And there's one that's close to being finished right across the street. So. Uh, I've been writing about that one for eight years. Um, uh, Andy, you've got a job that many of us dream about as the voice of Auburn athletics, particularly Auburn football. And I can go back and I can almost repeat the call of when I got hooked on Auburn University and Auburn Athletics. And it was in 1969. I was at my grandparents' home in the Woodlawn area of Birmingham. And I can hear Gary Sanders' voice to this day. I was laying in bed about five miles away. The Auburn-Alabama game was being played. And I can hear him saying, back to kick is Connie Frederick. He's going to tuck the ball. He's running. I can still – he's got one guy to beat, one Alabama guy to beat at the 30. And it was a run-up-your-score, 100-yard fake punt in the last minute of the game. And this was before we could watch it on TV. And Gary Sanders and Gusty, you're out painted this unbelievable picture. It was almost like I was in Legion Field that night. I could I could still see Connie Frederick running down that sideline. I mean, you've got a job that allows you to be the eyes and in some ways the ears of a lot of people out there, right? I do. And and my story begins about two years before that, Chuck, growing up near St. Louis, Missouri and listening to the likes of Jack Buck and Harry Carey and Dan Kelly uh, on KMOX radio out of St. Louis, calling St. Louis Cardinal baseball and St. Louis Blues hockey. And that's really when I decided that that's, this is what I wanted to do for a living, having no idea that eventually it would lead me to the South and, and to the spot that I'm in right now. But I understand that that love of that voice and that love of that person describing what's going on. And that we, we come from an era where that radio voice, you know, when, when getting, not every game was on TV. Nope. And that radio voice, if you wanted, if you weren't there, that, that radio voice primarily was the conduit between you and that team that you loved. And that, that love of, of whatever sport that is has, has never left me in the many, many years since. And it can tell. I mean, I listened, and Jan will jump right back at you in a minute, but our TV went out during the Iron Bowl last year, and we were on YouTube TV, and I was f sitting there. It was like this: you found $100 in your coat pocket when you realized Auburn might have a chance to beat Alabama. And all I could do from the start of the fourth quarter through the overtime, I listened to you. And I wanted to tell, just tell you, I was not watching on TV. I was strictly getting it the way I did in 1969 as a nine-year-old kid. And even though you would have loved to have had a little different outcome on that, your voice and your emotion were perfect for the ebb and flow of what was happening on that field, and it was so well done. I mean, that had to be a difficult but a very rewarding call to do for you. It was uh, it was an interesting week because we had been in the Bahamas 
or the three days prior playing with basketball. Auburn basketball. Uh, and got back to town literally at four in the morning. Our flight back and coming back through Atlanta and busing back to Auburn, and then getting up pretty early and, and coming to the ballpark uh, for that game. And it was it was a very fun game to do. And certainly, I would have loved a, a different outcome. And I've I've all I've often wondered since then what that call would have been like. Uh, at the end of an Auburn win rather than an Auburn loss, but it was a it was a great game. It was it was one of those games where you walk away regardless if you, the team that you're calling won or lost, and you can say, "Wow, what a great game that was!" Hopefully, I did the game justice. Um, you did. You and, did well, and I and I appreciate you saying that, Chuck. Thank you. Jed, do you listen to Andy on the radio, and do you? Do you talk to him about the calls sometimes after a football or a basketball or even a baseball game? Yes, and yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I grew up as a fan, so um, I've been listening to all of those same broadcasters all my life. Um, I grew up in a mixed marriage family. Half of my family are Alabama grads and had the other half. Our Auburn grads, so we had a good time with all I the rivalry. Fully rivals. understand the conflicts that. Brings. Yes, you do. Um, and then um, when I met Andy, uh, we met online, and in the second email that I got from him, he told me what he did, and I realized that I'd been listening to him for years um, <laughs> as a fan of Auburn, so I knew who he was. And it just so happened he worked with three people that literally live within rock-throwing distance of my house growing up, so I could check him out. Um, so you had reference material. I did have reference material. But, yes, I do listen to him. Um, I try to sync the TV and the radio. Um and if I can't, then I just listen to the radio. I can't handle the other broadcasters. So I do listen, and I do text him during games at times. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Is that distracting, Andy? <laughs> well, I, I don't go. I, I find opportune times to respond. Let's put it that way. He'll, he'll ignore me at times, but sometimes I can be helpful, too, if I see something Sure. On TV, play by play that he didn't see, um, then I can clarify, and I've done that sometimes, and he'll mention it, or sometimes I'll ask a question, or you know, try to do my own armchair coaching from the sideline, thinking what they should be doing. But yes, I am um, an avid fan and of his as well as Auburn's, um, so I I do. I do watch and listen, and I do text him during games. Do you critique her ability to produce teachers and nurses, Andy? <laughs> I don't. I don't believe that I have that ability, and so I do not know. You know, it's interesting. It sounds like this marriage is a true partnership in in a lot of in in every way, and that's what a marriage should be, isn't it? A partnership, right? Absolutely. I, yes, it is. Um, it's a second marriage for Andy, first for me, and I waited a long time for it. It was worth the wait. Um, and it's not all sunshine and roses, but we have a great time, and we're very compatible and make a good team. Um, and we've been able to, to deal with adversity and good times by being that team. 
you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to y'all about is y'all's marriage and y'all's relationship came into the public light a few years ago when y'all's dear friends Rod and Paula Bramlett were killed in an automobile accident. Can you go back to that day? And, and, and it's probably not a fair question. I apologize up front. And just talk about sort of what you were feeling and then all of a sudden when you got the news that night, hey, this isn't good. Yeah, we can go back. I can go back vividly. I won't talk for Jan, but we were in Huntsville. Uh, Jan's youngest niece was graduating or graduated that morning. And we were uh, at a small graduation party at a bowling alley that, that afternoon when we received the first call from Auburn. And a police friend of mine that, that has done a lot of work at the time was, was detailed at Auburn gave me a call. And it was not my turn to bowl. I was sitting back, and we had just had some appetizers delivered to us. And he picked, and I, when, when I saw his name on the phone, we just didn't talk much outside That's of That's one work. of those, you answer the call. Yeah, exactly. And it was a very short conversation, basically that there had been a traffic accident, and Rod and Paula were involved, and it did not look good. I'm paraphrasing, but that's yeah. basically yeah. the the phone call. And so at that point I told Jan what would had happened and we were staying with Jan's mother there in Huntsville and immediately left the bowling alley and went back to Jan's mother's place to pack uh, because Rod was on his way at that time to UAB hospital. Uh, and when we were packing our clothes, that, that it turned into early evening, we received the call that, that Paula had already passed. Um, and that was, I, I remember Jan was to my left when we got that news. I don't know why I remember that. But we quickly packed our car and started south to Birmingham. And I remember phone calls coming in from various people asking about Rod and Paula, giving us updates. And I, I guess we probably got to UAB Hospital between 9 and 10. Is that right, Hun? I think that's probably about right. Yeah. What do you remember, Paula? Um, what do I remember? Yeah, do you remember anything um, you kind of... I remember it vividly. Um, I remember watching Andy as he got the call um, and he walked kind of behind us and I could tell from the look on his face that whatever it was, was, was very serious. Um, and then he told me right after that, we ran back to my mother's. Um, I remember getting the call about um, Paula there at my mother's. And in the meantime, I had called Shelby, Rod and Paula's daughter, um, to tell her there had been an accident. She was out of town with a friend, and I told her to stay put, that we would get her back to Auburn. Um, and our intent was to find a way to fly her home or whatever. 
Um, of course, she didn't listen to that. She got on the road right away. But then she called me as we were waiting to get on the elevator to go down to our car um, from my mother's and asked me. And so I had to tell her at that point that her mother had not made it. Um, and so she was trying to get to Birmingham as we were trying to get to Birmingham. Um, and we learned of Bride's death once we got to Birmingham and and had her turn and go to Auburn rather than coming up to Birmingham. But, um, yeah, I, I remember it as if it happened yesterday. Um, all of it is very vivid uh, in my mind and, and the thoughts and discussions on that drive from Huntsville to Birmingham. And then once we got to the hospital, we were immediately taken in uh, to a room, a private room with the trauma surgeon. And by the time we got there, Rod had passed away. So he gave us that news. Before I go any deeper into this, and I do want to talk about the children a good bit, I want to let each of you share a memory, a pleasant memory, so people will know who Rod and Paula Bramlett were. So, And I'll start with you, Jan. I mean, share something that would say, okay, this is who these people were. Um. Paula and I were close. Um, we grew to be close because we spent a good bit of time together when our husbands were traveling together. Um, Andy and Rod traveled together for 25 years with baseball. Um, and so it was, they knew each other well, and it left both of us at home uh, to take care of things at home while they were gone. So I would often get calls from Paula. Um, usually it was saying the kids have ditched me. Do you want to go have dinner? Um, so we'd go and have dinner together. Um, we might call, um, Andy and or Rod at that point, And we'd make fun of, of them being in the hotel room together while we were together, <laughs> you know, at home and just different things, you know, like that. But it, we were in very similar life situations in terms of the occupations of our husbands and so we both knew what it was like, and and the the you obviously friends. liked each other's company too. We did. We enjoyed each other's company, and we're good friends, um, and we could relate to each other because we knew what the lifestyle was like when your husband travels as much as ours did at that point. So it was fun, and we, Andy and I, would go to dinner with them often on a Friday night before a game on Saturday or, you know, some of those kinds of things. Um, and we lived right down the street from them. And one of my early memories is um, right, well, Andy and I got engaged the day before Joshua, their son, was born. Um, and Andy loves to tell the story of us going to the hospital to meet Joshua and visit with Paula and Rod um, right after he had been born. Paula was starving, and he sent Rod and Andy out to go get her some food. I think where'd you go, McDonald's or something? I don't know. Um, Dairy Queen, the Dairy Queen, right across from the, the hospital. The Dairy Queen, across <laughs> yeah. the hospital. Right. So East Alabama Medical there. Center. Right. Yeah, and I stayed there with her. But, you know, we've had our lives intersected for many, many years um, and watched their kids grow up and and they lived right down the street from us for a good while, good portion of that time as well. So we were good friends. What about you, Andy? I mean, you obviously, you and Rod knew each other incredibly well. 
as as colleagues, but sometimes when you work as close as y'all did and travel as much as y'all did, your colleague kind of becomes your brother in a lot of ways, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And we, as Jan mentioned, we traveled together doing baseball for 25 years. And that's a lot of time traveling to Gainesville and a lot of guard, a lot of guard yeah. spots on those trips. Yeah, that's that's a lot of times in an SUV or a van as you're driving for those road trips, and so you 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 get to know the person much more than just what kind of series Auburn's had or something of that nature, and you learn stories about each other and uh, failures and triumphs and lots of laughter uh, with with Rod and Rod always drove. He insisted on driving, and so I was in the I, I was the navigator of those trips. And as I look back on it, the, the games were terrific. But the time that I missed the most with Rod were those times in the car driving back and forth, and just the conversations that we had. And it might be nothing more than griping about the, the weekend series, but at some point it would turn, well, how are the kids doing? Or, you know, how's the job and that type of thing. While Rod and I worked together, we rarely worked for the same people uh, until the last few years of, of, of Rod's life. So we had stories to tell, uh, both triumphs and failures and frustrations and everything else in between. People knew Rod as the voice, the the kind of iconic voice. I mean, and he felt he came into it when Jim passed away, Jim Five. So you know, Rod just Rod had a way of, and as you do, of telling a story. Did you did you listen to the way he and Jim Five over the years told the stories, and did that kind of help shape you a little bit, Andy? It did. I don't think that uh, you, you can't be around someone as much as we were and listen to their broadcasts without it affecting how you do your job. And for, for Jim, you know, I was around Jim, worked with Jim on Auburn football broadcasts from 1990 until he passed away in 2003. A prince of a guy. Yes. And someone that, you know, he was, he was the voice of a generation for Auburn. And he was part of a golden era of Auburn athletics, the, the, those 1980s and those outstanding football teams under Pat Dye and those basketball teams under Sonny Smith. And then Rod takes over, and in Rod's second year, he's calling a, a should have been a national championship team that wasn't given the opportunity. And then, you know, lo and behold, here comes 2013, and the prayer at Jordan Hare and kick six and all the notoriety that went with that. But part of that was how well he called those big moments. Rod was a big moment guy. And I think about those two calls, the 97 home run that David Ross hit in the, the regional down in Tallahassee Rod's, Well, as, as it turns out, Rod's final games as Auburn's basketball announcer, that 2019 team, that won the SEC tournament, then went to the Final Four for the first time. Um, both Rod and, and Jim, both, when when it was a big moment, 
they equaled that big moment, you know? And I just, I, I admire both of them for how they were able to step up to those very, very big moments as a broadcaster. You know, you talk about big moments and when Rod and Paula died, perhaps the biggest moment of all was when they had asked y'all to be the guardians of Shelby and Joshua. I mean, you talk about having to rise to a big moment. The two of you, I mean, I know that the, that the decision was made because they were about to travel, but that's a, that's a lifetime movie. I mean, in many ways, what your life has been like since, since that accident. Well, it was, it was the fall of 2018 when they asked us. And it was one of those Friday nights that Jan referenced, a Friday night before an Auburn home football game. And we were eating at a local Italian establishment, having dinner. And Rod had told me in the office that they had an important question to ask us. And I, I had no idea it would be that. And when they asked if we would be the guardians of their children at dinner, I think we both knew the answer, but we wanted some time to actually think about it and give them the answer. And both of us never dreaming that it would ever come to fruition. I mean, that's a hypothetical that you never think is going to play out. I mean, no, but, but they were, they were from a, a legal standpoint, they were going through the process of drawing up a new will and they needed an answer from us to, to put that into motion at that point. So this wasn't just, Hey, this was in writing. This was, this was a document. Well, it was, it was going to be a document. They, the, it was, it was going to be a document about a week after the accident occurred as oh, it turns wow. out. So this had met with the lawyer and the lawyer knew what they wanted and they were set to meet with the lawyer on Monday, Monday or Tuesday after the accident occurred to sign the papers. Right. So the legal document had not been signed when their deaths occurred. But the Um, lawyer knew what their wishes were. The lawyer knew what their wishes were. And so we had to go through the legal system to get their wishes honored. Um, but everybody was very cooperative. The other thing that had occurred was that Rod and Paula had in the week or 10 days before the, the crash occurred, um, had told all of their family. So their family also knew what their wishes were um, prior to their passing. But Andy's right. I mean, we knew we would accept or we would would do the job if we needed to, but we also knew it would never happen. Um, that's how we went into it. And I tell people now, make sure you really do consider it because we are living examples that sometimes it does. How, um, how old were Joshua and Shelby when their parents were killed? Joshua was 15, and Shelby had just turned 19 a few months before. So Shelby was legally an adult when her parents passed away in Alabama. The legal age of being an adult is 19. 
And so she was never, we were never her guardians. She was already legally an adult. She was on her own. She was living in an apartment, going to Auburn. Um, and we were there for her, of course, and helped, but we had no legal standing with Shelby because she was already an adult. Joshua was still a juvenile. And so we were appointed through the courts as his conservator and as his guardian. We were co-guardians. Um, and we were also co-trustees over um, Ron and Paula's estates as well. So all of those things were set up so that we could help um, help them through when, the course of all this process. When you get placed in that position, position of enormous trust by friends and what could never happen happens what's the first thing that goes through your head i'll start with you paula i mean not paula excuse, excuse me sorry that's okay so i'll people start with you jan people do that a good bit actually um, um for me as soon as we got the news in Birmingham that Rod had passed away, we knew everything was left to us. And so it's a survival mode. What's next? What do we need to do? Um, and you sort of put away the grief and the sadness and everything else because you have to deal with what's next. And the first thing for us was making sure the kids were taken care of and then making sure that funerals were planned and you know what all the all of the steps that came after that but it was literally an hour by hour day by day process um it was very overwhelming but in order to deal with it you dealt with those minute um, pieces of it i know early on one of the things we look back on now a little over three years later is that we realized in the first couple of days we hadn't eaten. We, both of us were starting to feel shaky and all kinds of things. And we realized, you know, it's been, I don't know, two days since we had anything to eat. Um, it just didn't cross our minds. And so we started trying to take care of ourselves as well as them and, you know, having to figure out how things were going to happen and what was next and what we needed to do. Um, and you just deal with it step by step. And fortunately, we had so many people um, in our lives, personally, at work, all of those kinds of things that supported us, um, that enabled us to be able to take care of the kids and everything else that needed to be done during that overwhelmingly difficult time. Um, we couldn't have done it otherwise without our families, all the people around us that supported us and surrounded us, all our work folks that filled in the gaps when we couldn't be there. Um, all of those things enabled us to be able to to make it work. And you do what you have to do. That's part of life. You know, it's yep. what presented itself and you, you do, do what it. you have to do. And that's what we did. Chuck, um, I, was, I was sitting down with a friend of ours who has helped from a financial standpoint since day one of the accident. And I told him two things. I said, I, I, I don't want to screw this up. And I said, I just, I want to be able to get Joshua to his 19th birthday alive <laughs> at this point. 
and I know that kind of boils it down to the very basics, but at this point, looking at everything that was about to come down, things that we knew and things that we had no idea of knowing until it actually happened. That was my, that was my main focus. I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to mess him up. I don't want to mess up his finances. And I wanted to, I want to get him to October 1st of 2022 alive and well. We're almost there. And yeah. Almost I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so he turned, he turns 19 in a couple months. Yes. Nineteen. Two weeks. Uh, what? Three months, uh, two months from today. Is that going to be did. a bittersweet day for y'all? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, we've gone through, I mean, we're, he's moving out of our house in another week into his first apartment, start Auburn. Um, and he said one day, a few months ago, you all get your room back. And, you know, that's true. I mean, when he moved in, we had been two adults with no children. I mean, we have a, a four legged fur baby, but that's it. Um, and so your life changes, your home changes, everything changes, you know, but yeah, there are things that we love about having him around. And, and then there are other things parents look forward to the empty nest once it gets back, you know, um, and you know, it's, it's, it is bittersweet. I mean, there are good things about it. it. I was surprised when he graduated from high school in May at the ceremony at how, um, much, emotionally I was affected by that and it wasn't like normal parents watching their babies grow up and Paula called Joshua my little baby and so she would have been all emotional about her little baby graduate no my sweet baby my sweet baby graduating it wasn't that for me it was the fact that that was sort of a major milestone for us that we had survived him turning 16, learning how to drive, getting a car, finishing high school. We had survived that. We, Andy and I, had survived, and he was still here, and hopefully not too much worse for the wear. Um, but we've all, you know, made that, made it to that point. It was a, a major milestone, and now we have another one coming up next week, and he is excited and anxious like every normal 18-year-old is when he moves out for the first time. He um, understands, the, to a certain degree, the brevity of the adult world he's moving into and taking responsibility for himself. It's a bit different for him um, because at 19, our guardianship is over. and We have no legal um, right at that point. If he wants our help, he has to ask for it. Do you think, um, do you think he will? I anticipate that he will with some things. Josh is a normal 18 year old boy <laughs> and he wants to do what he wants to do. And, you know, he's not used to paying bills and doing all the adulting things that have to be done. So I anticipate that there may be some help he seeks. He's going to try to do a lot of it on his own and he has full capability to do it. He's a smart kid um, and he will do well. It's just whether or not he wants to, that's the key. Um, and I'll be around to bug him enough, like uh, any good parental unit will to make sure he gets things done. But, how, how has the, because of Rod's status, Rod and Paula's status, but particularly Rod's status in the Auburn community and the Auburn University community, 
has the community jumped in and helped y'all too from a standpoint of, and co-parenting is not the right word, but helped y'all kind of provide the direction and the, the leadership and the things that you need to do to help get him alive to the 19th birthday? Yes, they have. And they have been there from day one, Chuck, uh, from the time of the accident. The Auburn family, and, and those, and it's not just the Auburn family either. It's it's folks outside of the Auburn family that, that have stepped up from a financial standpoint for these kids, from a just a, a prayer standpoint for them, the concern. I mean, Rod had friends know. all across the SEC. Absolutely. Um, and as a matter of fact, two of them were at the hospital that night. Uh, Eli Gold and Chris Stewart came to UAB hospital that night because they were concerned about their friend who was the voice of their arch rival. But as you know, Chuck, in this business, um, you, you get to know those voices and those people that, that work in that other broadcast booth. And they don't make people around. better than Eli and Chris either. A- absolutely. And it's the same thing with David Kellum at Ole Miss and Bob Kessling at Tennessee and Jim Ellis at, at Mississippi State and Neil Price. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Those gentlemen are our friends. And several of them made the trip to Auburn for their memorial service that day. But I don't know how many times, I don't know how many, how many times that I have talked to friends of ours and others. All right, listen, we, we just had this situation at home. Did we handle it well? Did we handle it properly? Because we had nothing to go on. As Jan mentioned, I've, this is my second and last marriage, but I was, I was not a, a parent in my first marriage, Jan's first marriage. So we've had no children. We have nothing to go on other than trying to remember what it was like when we were teenagers back in the seventies. And that's a whole different lifestyle then as it is now. But again, I just went back to the thought and I, I don't want to screw this up. And so we asked basic well, it doesn't questions. doesn't look like did, you have. Uh, did, did we handle this well? Did we handle this properly? Is this normal for a 15 or 16 year old to fill in the blank? Yes. Ours has done the exact same thing. Good. <laughs> All right. So, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, At least that's what it was. That's what it was like. And we continue to ask these questions, or at least I do. We do. We continue to ask questions and we continue to have people inquire. Um, I mean, there's hardly a day that goes by that somebody doesn't ask how the kids are doing and want an update um, on them. And, and you're right. This whole story was so very public. It was. We had not Amazingly so. ESPN was in our house. HBO was in our house. Who else? We had one more. CBS? CBS. CBS. Um, all did features on it and were in our house. And um, I'm telling you, it's a lifetime movie. It's, it is a lifetime movie. It is, but it's not. It's not a happily ever after kind of thing. It's no. not what people think it is. And and we have been very clear. We're not 
Joshua's now parents. We're not. We are raising someone else's child or helping to finish raising someone else's child. Um, it's a very different kind of thing. I've had people come up and be so excited because Andy and I didn't have children and now we do. No, we don't. We are we have someone else's child living with us. Um, and he means a great deal to us. And, and he, he has expressed that his parents, he thinks, made the right decision in asking us to help take care of him. Um, and he has said he feels safe. Um, which early on was a huge thing for me uh, because that's about all you could ask for. when You, you had to make them feel safe and at home, right? Absolutely. So, you know, we've done everything we can, but it's not a lifetime movie. It's not a necessarily a happily ever after. He doesn't ever get his parents back. He has us to help him with whatever he needs, but it's not, you know, happily ever after everybody, you know, it's all fabulous pink and roses we've never tried to be we've never tried to be rod and paula yeah um and but but we talk about rod and paula a lot with joshua and shelby as well i mean they're i've got endless stories about rod that they probably don't know because it was me and rod on the road somewhere and we are very open talking about rod and paula and they chip in with stories from time to time as well. But we're not Rod and Paula. We've never tried to be Rod and Paula. Although uh, we, we, would do, we, we do would do a say, disservice if we were. We do say things like, you know your mom would not be happy about this, right? <laughs> or whatever. Or, and or on the other hand, you know that your parents, you know that Rod and Paula would be very proud of you. Exactly. Right now. Both sides. Um, and they, they know. But we talk a lot about them and... Um, have lots of good memories, and we do have stories they don't know about, and they tell us things we didn't know about um, as we go. But um, it's definitely an interesting journey, and, and the people in our community have been extremely supportive and continue to be so. Um, even navigating them, I've been in school systems my entire life as an educator, but I've never been in them as a parent. And so I would call some friends I have and say, okay, what's, you know, let me know what I need to know about navigating Auburn High School, because I have no clue. Um, and, you know, they were always extremely helpful and continue to ask. We get emails, we get cards, we get all kinds of things um, asking about the kids and just offering support and prayers. And, and people have been very gracious, and we've been very thankful for that. You know, I want to stay with this, but shift it a little bit, Paula, Andy, if I can. I mean, oh God, we're done again, Jan. I'm sorry, uh, Jan, Andy. Um, when you, Andy, you had the also the task of kind of walking into Rod's job at Auburn University. I mean, you were elevated to the voice of the Tigers, and you know, in my lifetime, there've been four of y'all. I think there's been. Gary Sanders, Jim Fife, um, Rod, and now you. I mean, that's a job that is a coveted job for a broadcaster, for somebody that does what you do, to be the voice of, of an institution like Auburn. Now that you're kind of going into your well, – this will be your third season, right? Or fourth? Fourth. Fourth, fourth season. Fourth, yeah. fourth season. Does it feel different now – 
than it did the first year or so? In a couple different ways, because that first year I was named the voice less than two weeks before the first game. That the Oregon game uh, down in Arlington. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to get ready for game one. And that was the 2019-20 season that was halted because of COVID. Yep. Uh, We were at the SEC basketball tournament. Auburn hadn't even played its first game yet as the number two seed when the season basically shut down. So that's year number one. Year number two is a fully COVID year. There are games to be played, but we didn't travel with basketball. And we did basketball games up on the concourse level, and everyone is masked. And then the third season, uh, there are still some mask situations, but it's, you know, you're, you're still under some COVID restrictions. And, and it seems like you just it, ended the baseball part of that. Right. But, but that's the first season that was somewhat normal where a season wasn't interrupted and all the travel was as it typically is. Uh, So it's been, from that perspective, it's been rather unique. And to be in this spot at my age, here's, here's a story that I, that I tell. How old are you? How old are you, Andy? 61. We took a trip down the Rhine river that summer uh, after the accident that we had planned for a number of years. And the last night on the boat, we were with Jan and I, my brother and his wife, and my best friend growing up and his wife. That's, that, was our, that was our crew. And the last night on the boat, we were having dinner, and everyone there, and I'm the oldest of the group, everyone there is talking retirement plans. My brother's already retired. His wife is retiring in an number of years. My best friend was getting ready to retire. His wife was on the verge of retiring and Jan's not that far away from retirement. And I'm like, listen, I'm the oldest person here and y'all are talking about retirement. And I may be on the verge of the most important job that I've ever had as a first time guy in that role. So it's, 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 it's a job that I, I will never ever take for granted, Chuck. And, but it's also a job that I'm more than just the voice of Auburn football, men's basketball, and baseball. I am a voice for Auburn University uh, across this campus. And, and I, don't, I don't take that job, nor will I ever take that job lightly. And, you know, and just you've done it really, really well. And under the toughest of situations, I want to get a little bit, Right now, you were talking about when y'all were in that hospital room in UAB in Birmingham, um, that Eli and Chris came in there. I mean, obviously, Chris has had his health issues over the last couple of years. And and was going to have more after that. I mean, he had more health issues after that fact. Do people sometimes, those of us that, live and die for what happens on that one Saturday in November um, every year, lose sight sometimes 
of what's really important. And I'm not asking you to criticize the Auburn fan base, not at all, but or the Alabama fan base for that matter. But you've got friends on that side. I mean, you call games. You see the importance of them, but you also have seen things that are much more important in different ways than what happened. I mean, and it took me years to figure that out. I, I mean, there's a question in there somewhere. I'm going to leave it to your journalistic skill to pull it out of me. Listen, I've, I've been in this business full-time since 1983 when I graduated from Indiana State University. We're the same age, same yeah. same career path, same career years. And it took me from Bloomington, Illinois, to Carbondale, Illinois, to Auburn, Opelika, Alabama. And you, you, you learn, I think, if you're going to do this job well, you learn to appreciate others in the business, how they do their work, how they go about their job, and you learn from them. And you, I think you learn from them until the last time you put that microphone or that headphone down. And I've learned from some of the very best in this business. And I'm fortunate to call many of these my friends as well, because no one knows what a broadcaster goes through any better than another broadcaster. And you know, you know, those, those outstanding triumphs and the people that you get to work with. And they also know that bus ride and you get back to work or you get back from a game at two in the morning and you're back at work that next morning. Yep. And it may not be after a win. It may be after a loss. Uh, And you know, Equipment failures, uh, failures of, of yourself and how you call the game or a play, everyone has gone through that. So there's no one better to talk to about it than another broadcaster, another uh, an Eli Gold or Chris Stewart or David Crane or, and I, I'm I'm going to leave too many out. Yeah, you know. um, but we're we're friends, and it, it goes beyond just being a broadcasting friend. We're friends. And that's how it should be. Jan, a lot of people don't realize, but your department at Columbus State University is responsible responsible for producing many of the teachers that educate our children in Columbus and surrounding counties. You're also responsible for producing many of the nurses who, uh, who staff our hospitals and our doctor's offices. Andy's got the fun job, but your job and doing it well, there's a lot of, there's a lot riding on the fact of you and your colleagues at Columbus State producing those teachers and producing those nurses and healthcare professionals. There's a lot riding on what you do. Do you really realize that sometimes? Absolutely, we do. We take it very seriously. Um, And you're right, we produce the vast majority of educators, teachers and leaders and counselors, um, as well as nurses and other health professionals in this area. Um, And we still, we try to get as many out as we can and we still don't have enough. Um, So we're trying to get more and more out. But yes, we um, hold ourselves to very high standards. We are adamant about maintaining accreditations and making sure that our students have 
the best preparation to make them world-class um, employees of whichever organization they happen to be. Um, it is. It was an interesting move quite a few years ago when um, the School of Nursing was brought into the College of Education and we became the College of Education and Health Professions. A lot of people questioned that and thought these are two very different fields, but they're actually very similar in many, many ways. Um, we all are in the helping professions. Um, and so we have many things in common, our processes, our procedures, how our fields are run, all of those things are very similar. Um, but we take it very seriously and we partner at high levels with our education and our uh, medical and health establishments throughout the community. We, like our teachers, our students who graduate from um, Columbus State, if they have met all of their certification requirements, they're guaranteed a job in Muskogee County. Absolutely I mean, guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Um, and all of the health fields are, you know, searching for our nursing and our health professional graduates. So, you know, they're, they're in very high demand and that happens because of the quality. Um, and we're adamant about maintaining that high quality. And y'all um, do, y'all do an amazing job with it. You well, really, thank you. You really, we you we really think do. we do and we're glad that it gets recognized. And, so. and I kind of, I know a little bit about it because my, uh, youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, is a Columbus State University te uh, education graduate who has just finished teaching or has been teaching for seven years now. So I know the product you produce. I, I helped kind of pay for it for a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, um, I to, we're toward the end of this thing. I want to do something. I don't know if y'all have caught this on the way I do these podcasts, but uh, um, it's, when I get to the end, I do something called Turn the Tables. And I've been asking you questions, and I almost didn't do it on this one, but I think I'm going to because I'm very curious to see what a, what would come out of the two of y'all. But turn the tables. You get a chance to ask me a question. If, is there anything, you know, during this conversation or anything? And I'll start with you, Andy, and then go, and then go to Jan. Well, I don't know if it's – it's not a question, Chuck, but I will say this. And, and it's I, – I use it at times as a little bit of humor – but it's absolutely true. And, and we were talking about concern for, for Shelby and Josh. When I speak to the various Auburn alumni groups and quarterback clubs across the Southeast, I get so many questions about it. The first thing that I talk about is just give them an update on Shelby and Josh. And Shelby's about to start, speaking of education, Shelby's about to start her second year as a second grade teacher at Cary Woods Elementary in Auburn. And that's the school that she and Josh both went to wow. as, as children. And Josh is about to enroll at Auburn. And he will continue the tradition of his grandmother, uh, his mother and father, and his sister of going to Auburn University. So um, that, that's the, the first thing that I, I say when I, when I get to the microphone. The second thing I say is this. There would never have been the question of, would you be the guardian of Shelby and Josh if Jan isn't in the picture? They would have never looked at me and said, hey, you think you could be the guardian of our kids if something should happen to us? 
they were smart enough to know that Jan is the key to this entire equation. And a lot of times Jan will do the thing that's not the most fun to do. And at times she's the bad guy in how things are done in our household. And I get to be the good guy from time to time, but it's more of a statement than a question to you, Chuck, is that without Jan, we're not doing this interview right now. There's no interest in this interview or this podcast right now without Jan as my wife, as Jan, as, as the one that has been the backbone of this for the last three years. I want to ask you one more question. You, you've kind of just steered me into it and that, I mean, and I'm in a relationship where I know, I know I'm in a very similar relationship to you, that y'all are in, but when you look, when you look at this, y'all met, you said y'all met online. I think Jan yeah. said y'all met online. We did. Yeah, it was a, what, a Christian what, singles network. What attracted you to her? Uh, in, in, initially, it was a picture. It was a picture of Jan and her Karen Terrier, Maggie. That was the picture. <laughs> and I just responded something of, I mean, you know, it was, it was a, a singles website. And it was, you know. I'm Andy. I live in Auburn. If you'd like to talk, great. If not, you know, no big deal. It, that, but it was her smile and the fact that she had her dog with her in the picture. That was it. That was the initial spark. So, Jan, what uh, attracted you to this guy that you did not know was the voice of the Auburn Tigers? Or did not know was an Auburn broadcaster? He wasn't the voice. The fact that he was living in Auburn initially. Um, because I'm a two-time grad and a fan and everything else. And so, you know, I thought, okay, here's a guy from Auburn. I'll answer, you know, and I responded. Um, so that, that was the initial, the initial attraction. I didn't know his name or recognize him. Um, and at that point it was primarily radio or, uh, the pay-per-view games, when I would have seen him. And, and so once I knew who he was and what he did, then I knew that I knew the voice especially and, and had watched him. But um, yeah, it was the fact that he, we had an Auburn connection that was similar. Um, and so that was, you know, let's see who this guy is and, and what he's about. Um, but and honey, I appreciate you saying what you said, but the biggest thing I think for all of this is our teamwork. Um, you don't go through life period, but especially with the really highs and really lows that we've seen in the last few years, without somebody else that can be there for you um, and God has a way of shaping things. So anytime I was close to the edge and about to jump, which happened frequently, uh -huh. Andy could pull me back. And then the opposite would be true. When he was, I would pull him back. Um, we hadn't been parents, so we had no experience with that. We were both aunts and uncles and very close to our nieces and nephews. And I have an education degree. Thank goodness I know um, from a, you know, a in search, theory, what to do. Right? I know in theory, from a research standpoint, about development and those kinds of things. Now, living with it day to day, 
um, is a different story. Um, but that's how we've gotten through it is, is as a team. Um, and we made the commitment early on. We were with it enough when this occurred that we, we promised each other two things. One, that we wouldn't lose ourselves in this, that we had to remain true to who we were and not try to be Rod and Paula or somebody else. We had to, to, to do that. And the second was we had to be a team. We had to be on the same page and be a team about it. Um, that was the, we knew at that point that was the only way we could make you it You just work. played in so well, Jan, to my last question. And nice job. I'll, I, will, I will start with Andy and work to you. Is the team better now? than it was before the tragedy. Ah. It, it, in, in all seriousness, it's very different. Um, we could have never envisioned what this was going to be like. When we said yes, we, I couldn't have, let me put it that way, I could never envisioned what this was like. Um, that, that first summer, for example, of all the legal things that had to happen uh, just to get to a point where Joshua was staying in our house, um, so perhaps one day we'll have a chance to reflect back on it. Yeah, we're stronger now than we were. We've been tested much more than we ever were. Um, in, I mean, we've, we've both lost our fathers, not in the last three years, but until that point, that was probably the most traumatic times of our lives is losing our fathers. And in some ways, nothing compares to what it's been like the last three years of losing Rod and Paula and then bringing a 15-year-old into our house. And as Jan mentioned, making sure that he gets, you know, his, his driver's test and passes it and getting into a car with a 15-year-old and putting him behind the wheel for the first time. Are you crazy? And going through all the things that every parent goes through. I understand that, but well, it's something that we never dreamed that we would be going through. Well, and we now have for the last three years. Well, your story is absolutely an amazing one. It is one that makes people like me stop and think uh, and really about friendship. And what you've done is the ultimate act of friendship for your friends, Paul and Rod. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, we're at a point now where we got to end this a, a little longer than I had thought it would, but um, we're, we'll get toward the end. But our guests have been Andy and Jan Bertram. Andy is the voice of the Auburn Tigers. His wife, Jan, is the Associate Dean of the College of Education at uh, Columbus State University. And we're at a point now that you where I drive the car into the ditch every time at the end of this podcast. Uh, you can watch the Chuck Williams show on WRBL.com on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. You can get it on the traditional podcast forms of uh, Apple, Spotify, and what am I missing, Axel? I heart, I heart. Also on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Chuck Williams. Andy, I'm banking on a famous Auburn athlete being Chuck Williams, and I can sell him my Twitter page. Uh, Facebook is Wait, Chuck. You, you can now legally. Uh, legally, legally. <laughs> uh, uh, Facebook <laughs> is uh, Ch Chuck Williams WRBL. Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Again, I want to thank Jan and Andy for uh, for taking the time to uh, – 
to talk to us today and to share this story. Andy, as an Auburn fan, I'm hoping you have an incredibly good fall. I'm pulling hard for it. Uh, and uh, if you want to, come back next week for another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Show. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Our pleasure. Thank you.